Thank you, Leslie and Paul. And howdy to the rest of you. So, do you guys think we're having winter? <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Sounds like what Thursday night supposed to be twenty below or yeah, something. Yeah. Yahoo. <laughs> the question was asked, Larry. Probably I'm glad it's asked because you aren't here. I'm not going to be here. The will be here, but I won't be here. You're not here next Sunday. <laughs> um, actually, uh, we what haven't we haven't talked much, but Christmas. I think we need to be with our families. Quite honestly, we're going to be at Christmas Eve. Okay. And uh, we'll enjoy one another there. And then uh, I know I've got complications next Sunday morning. Okay, so, it's so it's up to you, really. Okay, Christmas, no, okay. <laughs> you guys show up and I'll be here. <laughs> but, but I think, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll enjoy ourselves Christmas Eve here. And then uh, Christmas Day, enjoy yourselves with the Lord, with your families. Okay? Okay. So actually, that brings us to where we're at today. I was actually ready to go to Mark. Chapter 15, right? And then it's like 8 o'clock this morning. And I'm digging in. I mean, I've got it. And Lisa says, next week is Christmas. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we start to, oh, yeah. <laughs> so maybe I should do something maybe Christmassy today. So that's where I started to go backwards. <laughs> but it was really interesting. I hope God has, well, God's going to take us right where he wants us because that's what we pray. And uh, so I'm studying through Mark chapter 15 and really Jesus to the cross. And the terms that are used in the Gospels, there's really no adjectives that add to the sense of suffering that he had. He was scourged. Uh, that's amazing, okay? And he was crucified. That's beyond amazing. But there's no, I mean, it's just doom. It's so that just, just lays it out there. And whether you knew it or not, about 30,000 Jews were crucified during that time frame of Jesus. So it wasn't unique to him. But there were some things that were very unique to him. Probably never was the sense of, I would say, just suffering by the agonizing blasphemy on the Son of God. The chief priests were beating him and mocking him. And then for our Savior to, this was the real, this is really the real deal that only one person ever, even though many have been crucified, not one, has literally been the Son of God hanging on a tree that was separated from God the Father because he was wearing our sins. That was the most painful, the most agonizing thing that we could even imagine. But that's for next week, or next time we come together. But there was something that came across that, interestingly enough, ties us right back, two things in particular. I was thinking about that tied us back to this season of we celebrate the birth of Christ. Was Jesus born on December 25th? Of course not. The point of the matter was he was born, and he was born in a calendar year, and we're celebrating that. That season that we're celebrating there's two things that stuck out to me as we were looking at the crucifixion. Number one, Pilate asked a question which we actually saw last week that every single person needs to answer. What will you do with the king of the Jews? And then the second thing was, as he was crucified, there were those that, and it was something that happened at crucifixion, they would have had a thing called myrrh. It was mixed because it was some sense of a, 
and anesthesia. It, was, it would relieve some pain. And they reached up with a stick to give to him, and he refused it. And it took me back at 8 o'clock this morning. That came as those wise men. There, every, it's amazing. Do we, have a, do we have a nativity set up anywhere? Somewhere? Where is it? I'm missing it. Oh, right there. Okay. Uh, is there any wise men there? Is there three of them? Actually, there's not. But most, if you, if you go to a Christmas church play, if you go to a narrative, if you go, how many wise men? There are not one, not two, but three. And that, that's not in the Bible. There are three gifts. But I have a feeling that the entourage that hit Jerusalem was pretty immense. It was pretty amazing. It was over the top. And, but let's get into that. But, but before we do that, again, it was just amazing how God is using, to me today, he used me on the crucifixion, which really saved the universe. And there's things that tie back to his birth. So let's go to Matthew chapter 2 today. I know you're going to, your Bibles, if you open your Bibles, it goes to Mark, just like that, doesn't it? But let's go to Matthew chapter 2, and let's, let's invest our time <coughs> in this with our Lord today. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over, the, over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced of exceeding great joy. When they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And may God add a special blessing to reading his word, and let's pause for prayer before we begin together. Father God, it is with a great deal of honor and anticipation that we're here gathered surrounding ourselves around the Word of God, the precious truth that we need, particularly in today's world. Just as true as it was then, just as history was planned before it happened, there are wor words in this book, in Revelation, I'm thinking of that literally our future is planned before it happens, just as Jesus' birth was planned before historically it happened. Father, we're here because you've brought us here. Now we would ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher exclusively. We would be open to receive what you have for us. Take us where you want us in the Word. Take our minds, our hearts, our lives right where you want them. Father, we thank you for this season of which we can celebrate the birth of the greatest wonder, the greatest miracle, the virgin birth of Jesus, the God-man, 
God with us, Emmanuel, as Mary bore that son that would change the world, has changed the lives even within this room and those across this world that have accepted your gift of grace by faith. Thank you for him dying on a cross for our sins, bearing my sin, bearing the sins that would keep me from being with you, Father, because I am a sinner. Jesus bore that sin. Now, Father, show us more clearly than ever the relationship that we have with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I guess we've got a few notes from the bull sale on the board. Oh, and by the way, thank you for praying uh, for, the, for the sale. That's always a, it's two times a year, a few hours in each day of those two hours that uh, our future, shall we say, seems to be defined. At any rate, God knows our needs before we know it, just as he does for you. Isn't that cool to have a God that knows your need before you know it yourself? That's the kind of God we want to serve. And that's literally <laughs> Jesus Christ came. Jesus, Jesus, God knew our need even before we did. With that, though, there's a word today that may be new to some of you. It may not be, but it's a word that, nonetheless, I want you to become familiar with. It's a word that really brought the wise men, and that's the word that's called. Uh, however, that term wise men, which was translated that, uh, would be magi, okay? Magi. Now, that's not the word I want you to, to, to learn. There's, a, there's one that would be the reason that the Magi. Now, let's talk about that for a moment. Uh, the Magi, are, which is defi- has been uh, translated the wise men, uh, I- at least in the King James Version. Any other version have something different there? The wise men of verse 1, chapter 2 of Matthew. The wise men, I think it's almost universal. Is that correct? Anybody got something different? If not, that, but it would really come from Magi. And Magi is a tribe that would have come from the Medes hundreds of thousands of years ago, actually. Um, it, was, it was just like the Levites. It's interesting, if you, if you would track the Magi and the Levites, uh, or Israel and the Medes, you would see that this tribe was by uh, uh, genetic or hereditary, the sense, just like the Levites, you know, if you were born in the tribe of Levites, that's where the priests came from. The Magi would have been the Medes' priestly line as well. Uh, very prominent. I mean, I can't tell you how powerful that tribe was, literally regardless of the kingdom. Now, we are in the Roman Empire right now that was described for us uh, way back in Daniel's day. Um, and the Medes, the, I'm sorry, the Magi, of, they came from the Medes, the people of the Medes, uh, literally were very prominent within, first of all, the first kingdom we were made aware of in biblical times was the Babylonians. We're going to go there for, for a little bit of time, and we're going to open this up as to the level of prominence that the Magi would have had in the kingdom of Babylon. The other thing I want you to notice, and this helps me today, it's, it's, it's with a great deal of struggles if you listen to the news of our world currently. It, it's difficult, isn't it? It just seems like, where is justice? I mean, I ask that question every single Where is justice? Because that's what it seems to me needs to happen, right? Now, as we've been traveling through Mark, and you look at Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, and we've went through six trials in the last several weeks of Jesus Christ, Jewish and Gentile. The most railroad job I've ever seen of anyone, anywhere, for any reason. This is the Son of God that never sinned, and He's being sent to crucifixion, Hypo- as, as much hypocrisy as possible. 
It literally in the same town of which we're going to be sacrificing lambs and going into the Holy of Holies to, to literally the blood of the lamb is going to cover us from the angel of death. We are killing the Son of God. I mean, I, I can't, can you, where is justice, right? And if you would have been a disciple, I, I don't, any one of them said, where is justice? And at a higher level than it is in America in 2022. I have to say that. Uh, it's Daniel, think of Daniel for a moment. Teenager hits Babylon, right? He's, I think he's, 14 to 16, probably. Talk about giving a talk about what a kudos to parents or grandparents or whomever is in his background. That young man was grounded. It was amazing. I mean, he hits, he hits Babylon, and here you got Nebuchadnezzar. He's like the cool, coolest, most kingly, most outrageously prominent monarch in the entire known world. And Daniel just basically stands up to him. And he says, no, I'm going to serve my God. Isn't that cool? A 16-year-old kid? Are you kidding me? He's 900 miles from home? But how about Daniel going to sleep without his family? He had friends. Don't get me wrong. He had friends. But where's justice? What's going on? Uh, Habakkuk, if you read that, that's, maybe that's some homework for this week. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 7, verses 17 through 19 are so cool. I remember giving it to one of my neighbors. Um, Remember how dry it was last year? It was crazy, right? Like it, you didn't think it could rain? And I remember telling him, giving him that. I said, I'm going to make you look it up. I'm not going to tell you what it is. And it ended up for the summer, he would carry that index card with that verses written on it. And he would say when it was tough, I'd pull it out. <laughs> Isn't that the word of God? And Habakkuk starts out in, his, in that, little, that little book. He says, how long, God? How long until you take care of business? How long? And then God really blew his mind. He said, well, I'm about ready to do that. And I'm going to have Israel based. And this is paraphrasing. But go ahead and read Habakkuk. I want you to do that this week. (laughs) And he says, I tell you what, I've got a plan. And thank you for asking me how long, because we're about ready to go. And the Babylonians are going to crush my people. That wasn't what I saw coming. (laughs) I'm wondering if America is not going to be crushed. Because we've given up God for the worship of self. Romans chapter 1 is fully engaged, I believe, in America. But this is what's really cool. Daniel was in Babylon for exactly a reason that 600 years later we're going to describe today. Because that tribe of the Magi, the only reason that I can find that they showed up in Jerusalem traveling, I don't know exactly where they were in Persia, but they came from the east. The Magi is where they came. That would have been the area, probably Babylon. That's somewhere between six and 900-mile journey. Laramie, could you throw the map on the wall while we keep talking? It'll give you an idea of how far they came. Now, this is a question I want you guys to keep saying. Uh, would you go eight to 900 miles? And, of course, the camels are always how wise. I doubt it. I would think it would have probably been Persian horses. And we're very, I mean, it, it was that day and age in which the rich would have had tremendous horses. Now, nothing wrong with a camel, but I'm going to go with a Persian horse over a camel. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. But can you imagine the time away from their families? Now, I'm, now let, I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm slipping into the shoes or the sandals of these wise men, this tribe of magi. And I think it was a rather large caravan, quite honestly. It wasn't just three guys. I, I, I'm positive of that. Herod was stirred deeply to his very heart. Who is that coming downtown Jerusalem? It was massive. But let's think about two weeks into the journey. We're not going by car. We're not going by ship. We're not going by railroad. We're going by horse at best. 
And we're traveling. I have to orient myself. I just looked at this. Uh, that disappeared, huh? That's okay. That's okay. Uh, let me get, can somebody see Babylon on here? It should be. Ah, here we go. Boom, right there. Okay. Babylon to Jerusalem. And you probably cannot go straight across because we have this massive desert called the Arabian Desert. So no doubt they would have had to have gone around, if you will. That's a journey. And that's actually some of the same country when, and this is, this is what we're, we're going beyond. This isn't just about taking a trip, traveling through the Super 6 motel system. <laughs> this is an extended journey. This is a big time deal. Do you remember last, uh, if you would go to, to Genesis and you would find in chapter 12 that God said to Abram, Abram, I want you to get out of your land. And that would have been, does it have Ur on here? It would have yeah, been, right. here, right here. Okay, now think of that. That's where Abraham started. He was down here in Ur. And this, I, think this is, I think this is absolutely crucial. I just thought of it right now. What if God would have told him, I, Abram, I want you to go over here to Beersheba. And, and it wasn't necessary, but I'm just picking a spot. I want you to go there. And he would pull out his, oh, wait, they didn't have maps then, did they? But there would have been things they would have heard about. Beersheba, that's like another planet. How am I going to get there? How, God, what are you asking? You know what? That's why I say I don't want to know the future many times. I can go back in my last several years. I honestly wouldn't have wanted to know in advance what was coming. I wouldn't have been ready for it. I couldn't have taken it. And I know you guys are shaking your heads. That's a gift when we don't know sometimes what the future holds. But we want to know who holds the future. That's what I want to know. And Abram, I'm convinced God didn't tell him, but he said, all you got to do is you follow me one day at a time, one mile at a time, one step at a time, and I will take you where you need to be. It's just like us, isn't it? I remember as uh, in, in Paradise Valley, the 80s, I don't know if you remember those, those of you who have been around for a little while, <laughs> interest rates went whoosh right through the roof. And our family, my dad, was on the wrong side of an interest rate loan on a land loan, and we basically lost everything. And I remember getting in a vehicle, and we've kind of got stuff boxed up on what we had. And we had an auction. You know, you, you know how much stuff and junk you have no matter how you, where you're at? You can't get rid of it all. You have to move some, right? And so we get in our vehicle, and we're headed to Mile City, east of Mile, to Mile City, literally, not knowing if we have a place to go. There was a realtor friend that had a lady friend that owned a ranch that might need somebody to help her look after that for pasture cow coming. That is what we went on. That was when Genesis chapter 12 made sense to me. Literally, that day in the travel, I said, that's what that feels like. And that's what faith looks like. <laughs> and I go back and I can see how God grew me. And he grew our family. And he made us deeper and richer. And we were in a place that really was impactful, not only to me, but I have friends back there in Plevna that, I mean, close, dear friends. And if it hadn't happened, we would, did you see what I'm saying? Every step of your journey, how you got there is not as important as the fact that you're there with God. And Daniel, let's, let's slip out of mind, let's, let's go to Daniel now. And, and these, these people went the other way, literally. You know, Daniel, he's from Israel. He ends up over here in Babylon, a slave. 
And Larry, how are you going to get to the, how's the Magi fit into this? Because that's where they live. That's, that was their home, if you will, for thousands and thousands of years. But something happened in Babylon because of one young man. One young man. And I'm convinced that God uses one person at a time to impact things that we don't know anything about. But 600 years before those wise men showed up in Jerusalem following a star for 900, I, I still think it's eight or 900 miles. I, you, I don't know exactly what they started. I'm just going to say, what's the difference on a horse between 600 miles and 900? Just a little longer. <laughs> what would you, how, what, you, you, you know cell phones? I'll just give honey a quick call tonight. Probably around those campfires, I wonder if they said to themselves, what are we doing? <laughs> Why did they do it? That's what the word is that I want you to have a grip on by tonight. Or by later, tonight. We're not going to be here that long. We're not going to be here that long. <laughs> I got to know how to spell it. This is, this is the Greek term, which I have to find my glass. I want to make sure I spell it right. You pronounce it differently. Here we go. P-R-O-S-K-U-N-E. Proskaneo. Say that. Proskaneo. That didn't really roll off your tongue yet, did it? Proskaneo. That would be the Greek term, or that's the Greek pronunciation of that word. Proskaneo. What does it mean? It's the real reason that sent those guys eight or nine hundred miles. It's the reason that they got on their horses. It's the reason they said goodbye to their families. It's the reason that they said, well, and by the way, the Magi were very accomplished in, we would say, astrology. And at that time and age when Jesus was born, it would be like combining astronomy, which is the science portion of it, and astrology, which is the superstitious part of it. But it, to get, it, was, it, was a, it was really not a line between it. Now, the Magi, again, it's like anybody. Just because somebody comes up to you and says, well, I'm a Christian. What does that mean to you in America today? Does that mean anything? No, it really doesn't. It really doesn't mean anything, honestly. Until I, but when they, it does mean something, they said, I'll tell you what, I've surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He and he alone are the only reason that my sins are forgiven when I've trusted him. I've accepted grace by faith in Jesus Christ. That means a lot more to me than someone who just walks up to me and says I'm a Christian. Right? Correct? It would be the same for the Magi. Uh, they, were, they would be as far off in the occultic practices as you can imagine. In fact, if you go to the book of Acts, there's a guy by the name of Simon, and his, he would come from that line of the Magi. And he was a sorcerer. In fact, the word sorcery actually would come from the word Magi. Uh, the English corrupted version of that is magicians. We have come up with magicians because of magi. Not really even a good... You can't translate this word because this is not what you think it is. It is a tribe of people. Okay, got it? It's a tribe of people. Now, again, very prominent. They were actually known as the kingmakers. These are the people that literally, especially back in the era, in when we had the Babylonians, when you had the Medes and Persians, even in the Greeks, they were kingmakers, now, in this day and age where these wise men came from, there was a king. Uh, is it Phartis, I think it is? Just a second, I might have written it down. Phartis, uh, Phartis, P-H-A-A-R-T-S. The fourth, and he was a loser. He was a loser. He just didn't get anything done. He was just like, oh, this is no leader. We got nobody working... That reminds me of someone else at times. But nonetheless, who's in charge? God. Guess what it did? It actually got those wise men to look for a king. 
Now, them being in the star, not, not, these guys were not star worshipers. And how do I know that? Because they didn't follow a star and worship the star. They worshiped what was below the star. That's what this, more, this word means. Proskaneo means worship. Now, it's not just, and you know, have you heard this? The wise men came to pay homage. Have you heard that word? H-O-M-A-G-E, to pay homage. Oh, no, no, it's much deeper than that. This is to really literally worship, to bow down, to kneel, to the ruler of the universe. In fact, Jesus even said, that is reserved. That worship is reserved for God and God alone. That's the same word, proskaneo. That is what the wise men, let's, let's go back to Matthew for a moment, and let's watch this. Let's read again, verse, verse 1, chapter 2. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? I have to stop there for a moment. I, I, that's not where we're going to end up, but you, let's, let's turn now. I want to see, this is how it got me here. Let's go to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. And look at verse 12. Mark 15, 12. Now, we looked at this last week, but this is, this is perfect. And Pilate answered. Now, Pilate, he thought he was in charge, but literally Pilate was standing before Jesus. Pilate answered and said unto them, the chief priests and the, the people, What will you then that I should do unto him whom you call the king of the Jews? This is the same one. Now, the wise men who are Gentiles that are coming from eight or 900 miles away have come to Jerusalem, and they're the first ones to tell the world that that baby in that house, not manger, that's another thing. If you see a nativity set with wise men at the manger, wrong wise men. Didn't happen that way. Because can you imagine, I believe that the star, let's talk about this briefly, I don't have time to go into it, it's, it's almost a study in itself. But the star of Bethlehem, or the star that on which the wise men saw, and only was only seen by the wise men. Nobody else saw it. That's what the scripture says. No one else saw that. Now, granted, they studied stars, they were, which I think made them intuitive or, keen, or tuned into the sense they look up. That's where they see stuff, right? For me, oftentimes, it's usually maybe just a summer night and I'm laying back. I'm, that is amazing. How many times do you actually look up and look at the wonder of the stars? I don't do it often enough. To me, it just speaks of an amazing, majestic, sovereign God. And these guys, the Magi, that's the world in which they lived. They were about stars. But remember now, literally after, and I, we read it once today, and we'll probably come back to it. But the star, once they got into Israel, it seems like it was gone. So now let's put you in the wise men's shoes for a moment. You've got a caravan, and you've come a long ways, and what got you started was this Star, I'm going to use the word star, this body, this light body. And then you get close and it's gone. What town would you go to in Israel? Where would you go? I'd go to Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where stuff happens. That's where the major temple is. That's where you're going to find the coolest guys that know a lot about the scripture, right? Now, I'm convinced that the reason the wise men came was because Daniel in Babylon had taught them a lot of stuff. So let's just take a moment and let's... Did I ask you a question that I didn't answer right now? Probably many. Well, let's go, to, let's go back to Daniel for a moment and let's learn a little bit more about these guys. Daniel chapter 2. We start to see them... Look, you, you see this word or this people, this tribe to be noticed in Daniel chapter 2. And, and I know we can't get a lot of context here, but that'll be up to you if you want to dig deeper. But let's go to verse 10. 
Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. He's, he's the monarch. He's the king of the Babylonians. Right back into the area there that we've been discussing. In verse 10, chapter 2, it says, The Chaldeans answered before the king. This is like this group of wise men. And I think it might even be synonymous for the whole tribe of Magi, but I'm not even here to say And said this, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things of, at any magician or Magi or astrologer or Chaldean. It's not even fair what you're doing. Okay, that's where you see it first. You see it there. And actually, um, it goes on then to say in Daniel chapter 4, just turn there. But by the way, but you know the story. I I don't have time to describe it. There was one that knew the dream. What was his name? Daniel. Daniel. Right? He he knew the answer. These guys said, Nebuchadnezzar, this, this request is ridiculous. I mean, there's nobody that can tell you the dream without you telling them the dream so that you can kind of make up the... I mean, I mean we weren't going to do that, but if you, you... That's what they did, didn't they? You tell us the dream, we'll tell you what it means. Well, that's an open field, right? Just leave the gate open, tell me what's in it, and I'll tell you what I think it means. That's what it means, okay? He didn't tell them anything. Daniel knew everything. He told them everything. Chapter 4, Daniel, same book. Verse 7. Verse 7. Then came in the Magi, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar. According to the name of my God, he changed his name to his God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the... Did you see this now? Did you watch that? Master of the magicians or master of the... Magi. How did he get there? Because of chapter 2. He told Nebuchadnezzar the dream and exactly what was going to happen. Do you know what happens when King Nebuchadnezzar gets a hold of that? He says, I don't know who you Magi are, and there's pretty cool guys. I've got you here because I really think you're cool people. But right now, there's only one really good guy. There's one that's really out there, and his name is Daniel. He, my friends, is now the king or the master of the Magi. Now, who do you think was paying attention? Remember chapter 2? The Magi said, there's nobody that knows that. Who are you? What? Nobody asks questions like that. And here comes Daniel. Dun, dun, dun. No, he didn't blow his horn, did he? He's that Mr. Cool, humble guy. And he walks in and he said, how can I help you? And he lays it out. Daniel just goes, whoosh. I mean, he was like, whoosh. Everything's there. Unbelievable, right? Chapter 4, we find that as a result of that, that literally Daniel became in a position of prominence among the prominent tribe of the Magi. Now, who do you think is paying attention as much as anyone? The Magi, <laughs> right? Because he earned it. He didn't tell them he was really smart. They watched what he knew because of the God he served. This is so, this is so amazing. And Daniel got there how? Because he wanted to take on a broad trip and he wanted to do an internship over here under the Magi? No, no, no. His life was an upheaval and he lost his family and they were in captivity. He becomes a slave to Nebuchadnezzar. And he's in the perfect place for God to use him. Because the Magi are about ready to pay attention to this man that literally does stuff that no one else can do. Isn't that cool? Oh, God's fully in control. He's got people in the right places. But now go to chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5 and verse 11. This is Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar is... Uh, I, I think he's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, and he is an idiot. 
I, I just, there's, there's no other way to say it. If he's, he's pompous, he's rebellious, he's just, in fact, the day that his kingdom is throttled, the Medes and Persians are outside, they're going to finally, there's a gate open on the river, and they, they come in and they just wipe out the whole place. He is having a drunken feast inside that day. He's an idiot. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, during this drunken brawl, drunken brawl, on the wall, a wall just like this, all of a sudden a hand appears and writes stuff. And it tells us that Belshazzar is shaking in his boots. Now, what it said was in a different language, but this is what it means in English. Time's up, turkey. But look at this. Now, nobody again, they, they don't know what to say. They don't know what's going on. And of course, do you know who's not there at this brawl? Daniel. I don't want to be part of that. I'm not going to be there. I just love his humility in places of prominence. Now, today, it would be, oh, I've got to go there because I've got to rub shoulders and I've got to be in the powerful and I've got to be in the influential. And I'm going to, I may not be partaking. He just said, I'm not going to go. And guess who remembers? Oh, ho, ho, I know a guy. In fact, it was the queen mother. It would have been the wife, if you will, of Nebuchadnezzar. Watch verse 11, chapter 5. Chapter 5. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. That's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar said. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, or it could be grandfather, the king, I say, thy father made master of the magi, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. And then you know what happens. They bring him in. He tells them exactly what that means on the wall. And he said, well, I'm going to He says, you know, you may as well take your honor and push it somewhere else because tonight your kingdom will be over and you will be dead. And away he goes. What do you think the tribe of the Magi think of Daniel by now? I think he's pretty good. This guy's got special, special gifts. There's something about him that's different. There's something that takes him to a level we don't know anything about. Now, you may be troubled by the fact, well, wait a minute, if he's the master or the leader of those people, who threw him in the, how did he get in the den of lions? Chapter 6. Well, I'm here to say it wasn't them. In fact, we find that it was the satraps, S-A-T-R-A-P-S. It was governors of other regions. They were political people outside of the kingdom that hated Daniel for the prominence that he had, that he had, I mean, I mean he had earned it without trying to earn it. The king supported or raised him up because of who he was. And they are the ones that literally made a plan to betray Daniel, if you will, and got him the lion's den. It was not the, it was not the Magi. But let's go now to, this is why I believe what the Magi, and again, I'm not saying every one of the Magi were God-fearing, God-worshipping, I got to think, proskaneo, proskaneo. That's the word. That's our word. I can't even say it now. I've got to think about it. Proskaneo, which means to worship. Probably a very small portion of the Magi tribe would have done that. I'm here to say there's a very few Christians, quote, Christians, that literally are interested in worshiping God today. Would you not agree? There are churches that are filled with people who don't even how or even who they're worshiping. We'll be talking about that later. But it's, it's true, isn't it? But this group that came that, that far to come to Jerusalem to find out where the king was, that they could worship, proskaneo him, came from that tribe. Now let's go to Daniel chapter 9 because I think this is the key component for them to see hundreds of years earlier that something was going to happen. Let's go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. 
This is an amazing prophecy that hasn't even been fully fulfilled yet even today. It's still history that's written, planned in advance, that we can see as future history, if you will. It seems an antagonism, but it's not. Daniel chapter 9, and let's start in verse 24. This is the prophecy of the 70 weeks that Daniel gave. Verse 24, and I'm, not gonna, I'm just looking at, at something here for them, that these, this magi, to see that Daniel wrote down hundreds of years earlier. 70 weeks are determined, verse 24, chapter 9, upon thy people and upon thy holy city, speaking of Israel, and to finish the transgression and to make an end of the sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring into everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. In other words, 69 weeks are going to take place. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. After the three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. See, those words were written that literally they would have been able to go back. And remember, there was a Mede, a Persian Mede kingdom king that said, okay, guys, I want you that had been exiled. I want you to be, I'm sorry, they were here. I want you to go back to Israel and rebuild Jerusalem. See, there was a time frame written into that that the wise men, the magi would have, that's the beginning. And then Daniel, no doubt, would have told them that's not weeks, that's weeks of years of weeks. And it would have started to lay place. These are things they started to look for. That's for us. As the, you took, take a look at, at the book of Revelation. There's things now that make more sense than they did 15 years ago. There's things that make sense more now than two years ago. Right? Would have been the same for them. This thing starts to unfold. And they know that Messiah, the king, the prince, as he's called here, that would have been a king that was coming. They would have gotten into the Holy Scriptures. Why? Because Daniel was the master of the Magi tribe. That's how they got there. Why else would they do that? Right? There's no other reason. Do you see God at work? God's at work today in America. He's at work like you've never seen before. Guarantee you. There are people who got saved this morning that wouldn't have if we wouldn't be in this tumultuous times. I can tell you right now. There are people that literally have to go through tough stuff to get saved. Now, here's what I want to lay out. I was going to do it later in the thing, but I think we're going to say it numerous times. Just like proskuneo. I want you guys to proskuneo God, to proskuneo Jesus Christ, because that's, that's what the wise men did. They came to worship, to proskuneo Jesus, the king. In fact, look at this. This is how they come. They came into Jerusalem. Let's see. Let's go back to, uh, to uh, Matthew, and they arrive in town. <laughs> it's kind of like the arrival, if you will. Uh, this is messy, quite honestly. I believe there could have been as many as a a thousand people. It would have been something to behold. These people, again, uh, if you keep this in mind as well. Okay, most, almost all of the world as would known at that time was under Roman rule. Okay. However, if you get over here, there would have been what would have been known as the Parthian Empire. They were just like today. In fact, this area here is probably Iran today. What do you know about the Middle East? It's just a, it's a boiling pot of war, right? They hate each other. It's just all the time. The Parthians were very much the same way. It was just, there was, the Romans were actually somewhat fearful of this warring sense of the Parthians. They just always were embroiled in some type of a conflict. And I'm going to tell you something. 
when the wise men, the magi, who were known as the kingmakers, these people were influential in anointing and making kings. And they come in to Jerusalem. Now, who is our friendly king of Israel, or Jerusalem right now? What's his name? Herod. Herod shouldn't be king. He's of the tribe. He's from, the, he's an Edomite, which have no, they have no right to the kingdom at all. None. Zero. Zip. But our dear friend Roman, Mr. Caesar, said, I may as well have you be king as anyone else because you, kind of, you kind of do what I tell you to do and you do it in a great way and you really can be bought for any price. I, you're, you're my kind of guy, right? You're a traitor, basically, but I'm going to have you. And if you mess up, I'll just take you out. See, that's how it works in the political world, isn't it? Blackmail and intrigue. It's, that's just how it works. It's today the same way. In fact, as we go through the high priest, we're going to do that in a moment. That's just how it is at a higher level. Power corrupts and absolute power absolutely corrupts, and it does today just as it did then. So he's just a, he's just a figurehead. Into Jerusalem comes this entourage, right? And he's terrified. Why? Because he knows these people are looking for kings. <laughs> Whoopsie daisy. And then they come right out and say, we want to know where the king of the Jews is born. Uh, oh boy, right? Can you see? They're shaking in their boots, Herod and his team, right? But I want you to see something, that Herod is not as stupid about the whole Messiah thing as we might think he is. And he's a heathen, a pagan beyond belief. He, he, is a, he is just a murderous, traitorous. In fact, do you know when he died? He was close to his death, and this is what he told the people to do, his, his, his cops, shall we say. He says, what I want you to do is no one, no one will be upset when I die. In fact, there may be cheering. He's that kind of guy. He knows he's that kind of guy. So what he did is, are you ready? He actually rounded up respected people, loved people in the city, and put them in jail, and he said, when I die, you kill them, so there'll be sorrow in the city. That happened. See, again, you would say, where is justice? See, we're not the only ones asking it. In fact, you go to Revelation. Remember those martyrs? How long? When will you, right? There will come a day. There is coming a day. Because just the same God that put Daniel in place to get the Magi to show up 600 years later to make Jesus the king of the Jews, before anybody recognized him, that same God said, Jesus is coming back in judgment. Justice will be served. It will be meted out. May everyone accept grace by faith, what Jesus did on the cross. Everyone, God wants to be saved. Isn't that amazing? That, that, you, I can't, even, I can't even talk to you about that. It's so magnificent. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. You think of the worst individual in your life that just did you as badly as possible. That person Jesus Christ died for. And if there's one breath left when they, when they bow their heart in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that person, because of, not because of them. They're jerks. Of course they are. Sin is a horrible master. That person is saved. Isn't that great? That's salvation, true salvation. How could we ever be thankful enough? And now I don't have any idea where I was going next. So let's go back to the, uh, to the scriptures. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. <coughs> now, how does Herod react? 
I think it was such, this is the other thing. If Herod, knowing what you know about him, I'm not going to spend much time talking about his family because it's, it's just, it's bad. If there was just three of them, what do you think Herod would have done? Oh, wait a minute. No, he wouldn't do that either, though. Why? Why, why not? Because he wants to know where this king of the Jews is so we can take him out, too, which we know he did because he killed all those babies two years old and under. In fact, that was his question when he re- privately, but publicly, he said, why are you here? We're trying to find the king of the Jews. The same one that Pilate was dealing with 33 years later. That's the same guy. And look at what Herod brings in as chief know-it-alls. Verse 4, chapter two, chapter 2 of Matthew. I, I want to come back to verse 3 again just to show you. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. He is shaking in his boots. He's stirred up. He is melting down. And all Jerusalem with him. They know who these magi are. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them. Now, what would he demand of them? What would, he, what would you ask? Stop. You read it. I know you shouldn't have, but you read it. This guy is tuned in. Did you see what he asked? Did you see what he asked? Let's read it together. He asked them, he says, where is the Christ? What does that mean? We're not talking about Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus. Christ is who? The Messiah, the anointed one, the king that's coming. Herod knew that. that, Do you see? Now, what he did with it is totally different. He hated the Messiah because it messed up his kingship. But he said, where is he going to be born? Where's, where's, this, where's this Christ going to be born? So the first thing we see in the sense of reactions is the fact that literally he was one of those that hated. He was full of hostility. It upset his plans. He asked that of the chief priests and the scribes. Uh, of course, they said, oh, boy, uh, it says in the Bible in Micah that it's going to be born in Bethlehem. What else? I've got to get back to my stuff. That's, that's the next attitude indifference or who cares. And that's literally the chief priests. These are the people that should care. These are the ones that should be looking for him. For 400 years, literally, God has been silent. Now, think of 400 years. How long has America been a nation? Not 400 years. A little over 200, 225, whatever. 225 plus, right? What? 400 years for nothing? Silence before the people of God? And here comes this entourage. Where's the king of the Jews born? We came, we followed a star. In fact, that's what I was going to tell you about. The star. How did God lead his people in the wilderness? In the daytime it was pillar of fire, and at night it was... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I got it wrong, got it wrong. There was a cloud, right, in the daytime, and a pillar of fire at night. And, it, and whenever it set, what did you do? That's where you camped. That's where you stayed. Okay? Now, let's read that. I'm jumping ahead, but let's read this for a moment. The star of the e- that they saw in the east, let's go down to, uh, let's start in verse 9. We'll come back. We'll come back. We're not going to leave all this stuff out. When they had heard the king, verse 9, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before this light. And do you see that? Lo, in other words, it came back, which they saw in the east, went before him, till it came and stood over the young child where he was. When they saw the star, they were rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Now we know that literally the star, using that word, this, this light, this glory of light, literally 
It takes a, now how far is it from Jerusalem to, it doesn't show it on here. Whoops, I'm not going to write on that. I'm not going to write on the wall, excuse me. Uh, they're in Jerusalem, and, and Micah chapter five, chapter 5, verse 2 says that the, the Messiah, the Christos, will be born in Bethlehem, okay? Which is how far from Jerusalem? Five miles. Okay, so, so they get this answer from, from the scribes, and, and I was going to say Pharisees, the scribes and the chief priests, who just nonchalantly state it. Yeah, he's in, he's, in, he's in Bethlehem. Now, wouldn't you, if you were of the priestly line, think, hey, Bob, would you run down? Just, just go with him. I mean, just go with him. Humor him. And you know what? If the Messiah is born, that's not a bad thing. That's about how not, I don't think anybody even went. Now, that's indifference at a maximum level. But when they come out and they're kind of saddling up, and they say, let's go to Jerusalem, you know, let's, where's Bethlehem? Tell us where it's at. And all of a sudden, poof, this light shows up. Now, the reason I don't think it's actually a star in the heavens is the fact that literally that shining light landed right over the top. Now, it's not the manger. Hello. It's probably two years later. No more than two years because Herod came back and killed all of the two-year-old baby boys and younger. When he asked them privately, that is, Herod asked the wise men, when did it appear? I'm sure, knowing Herod, that it probably was probably a year or less. But him, being the jerk that he is, made sure that he was going to wipe out all of those. At any rate, the period of time which I'm sure that light, I'm convinced, happened when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. All of a sudden, boom, there's a light. It's the Shekinah glory of God himself. It's the light that God himself led the Israelites around through the wilderness. Now, the reason, if it was truly a, sun, if it was truly a star, and I'm not here to say that it couldn't be. God can do miraculous things. But I'm just thinking about a real star that comes down, and literally it's not that house, it's not that house, it's this house. Uh, I don't want to be in that area with a star around that <laughs> it's that defined. You would burn to a crisp, Right? I believe without a shadow of a doubt that first star showed up, this star, the Shekinah glory, when Jesus Christ was born in the manger in Bethlehem. And literally that's what those guys saw. It was at a level they could see it and they followed it in and it disappeared. They're in Jerusalem and it shows up again and right over the house of which Joseph had taken his young family to before they were you know, old enough to travel. Yes? If it's the eastern star, the Magi went west. They saw it in the east. Yeah, but what I'm saying is they saw it when they were in the east. That's how the language is. They saw the star in the east, so they followed the star where it was. Yes, that's where they saw the star. I know, in some of our songs that we write, right? Star of the east? No. It was the star they saw in the east. You see what I'm saying? They are in the east. They saw the star. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because that's a really good point. But as they came, that star literally, that, I'm using that word because it's the word, Shekinah glory is what I believe it is. It's literally the glory of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And to think that the first one that was pronounced, the first one that pronounced him king of the Jews were Gentiles. It reminded me of John. Let's go to John for a moment. John chapter 1. If this isn't true, and especially as we've been traveling through Mark, it's even more true in the sense of the acceptance. John chapter 1 and let's take a look. John chapter 1. I'll get there in a moment. And let's just dial into... In fact, this, may be, this fits in exactly what we're doing. 
verse, um, da, 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 da. let's start in verse 7. Boy, we should start with one, but we're not going to. Verse 7. Then there came for witness, to bear witness of the light, that was John the Baptist, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Does that not even sound like what we're talking about right now, the Shekinah glory, the light? Exactly. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, the Magi, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That is exactly what's taking place, isn't it? Oof. So guess what? There's another group... How would you, let's, let's start, I think I lost my, here we go. So the reactions, the responses to these guys coming into town, one was, I'm going to just say hostility. Anger. I'm mad. Ferocious. I don't want anything to do with this king of the Jews. In fact, uh, if, fast forward to Mark chapter 15, which we looked at last week, right? That whole crowd. Well, think of that crowd for a moment on Monday. They were all about Jesus, weren't they? All about him. It was fantastic. He's it. Why was he it? Why was he going to be the deal? Because he fits my needs. He's going to wipe out the Romans. Israel's going to be number one on the map, and we are it. And by Friday, we're closing in. I mean, I'm going back to this, but we got as far as about 6, 7, 8 o'clock on Friday morning. What time did you guys go to bed last night? 10? 11? 10.30? Okay. Do you know by this morning, in fact, right now, when we entered this building, when you went to bed last night, Jesus Christ was having supper with his disciples. And this morning, when you walked into this place, Jesus would have been on the cross for an hour. He was an innocent man having supper with his disciples when you went to bed last night. And when you walked into this building at 10 o'clock, he was already on the cross for an hour. That, my friends, is unbelievable. And he had endured six trials in that time frame. He had agonizingly been sweating drops of blood because the most heinous thing that could happen to God was to bear the sins of the world. Think of that. And he did it because he loved you. He loved you. And here's King Herod. I'm here to say that if he would have accepted this king of the Jews, he would have heaven to look forward to. But he chose. How many people do you know today? You don't need to name names for me. But how many people do you know that are hostile towards Jesus Christ today? It's a growing number. It's a growing number. They hate him. Where does that come from? The world system, society that just drives us because it's satanically controlled. Herod was one of those. But Herod just one of those. There's many, many Herods today. Not physical, but the same type, right? And then we have the second one, which is even, I think, is more dangerous. Because if you have someone that's hostile to Jesus Christ, you know what? You just turn that person over to God, right? You pray for them. Because they're not going to listen to you. But when you pray for them, when you... <laughs> When you, like, unleash the Holy Spirit on that person and have God do with that person what they want, there isn't a better 
person to be able to get their head turned towards God and make a really good decision. When I say good decision for or against, Holy Spirit doesn't drive you into a corner and nail you onto the cross of Christ. He lets you know what Jesus did on the cross. In the innermost parts of your heart, if you're mad about God today, if you hate Jesus Christ, and there will be a moment in quietness that literally you will have to make a decision. The decision you make will be yours and you will be responsible. Just like Herod. He died a pitiful, pitiful, wretched man. But the one that's even more, I think is more dangerous, which captures more people, is indifference. Indifference. So who cares? Big deal. The entire religious community of Israel was bound up in the who cares. I can't find where... Any, now, by the way, by the way, this turned into... This is, I just thought of this right now. Indifference for a long period of time, guess what? Because the reason you're indifferent... Let's stop for a moment before I even tie in what we're going to do. When you're indifferent, you are worshiping somebody already. Ultimately so. There are only two things to worship, literally. There is God and there is self. Now, self comes in many different forms. You can worship money. You can worship power. You can worship people. You can worship many, many multitudes of things, but ultimately you're still worshiping self because you're making the decisions. Correct? And it's amazing. That indifference of the religious leaders before they knew who Jesus was. Now, let me tell you what that turned into about 30 years later when Jesus Christ walks into the temple and he takes it back for God. He cleaned it, cleaned it two times at the beginning of his ministry and at the end. Who is really not so much that's indifferent anymore? They move to hostility because they hate him because he's destroying the thing that they worship. And when you're worshiping self and money and influence and all of that, you don't want anything to do with Jesus because you've already chosen who you're going to worship. One of the hardest people, groups of people to, to reach are those that are super wealthy. Because most of the time, they love their money more than anything else. And you cannot love money and God. It's impossible. In fact, Jesus said that. This is a, this is a dangerous place to be. And these are the people I run into. Jesus schmeezes. Who cares? Big deal. He's in the Bible and it's old and he's... Right? Right? And it may not say it that way, but that's what their life resembles. Who cares about Sundays? Who cares about God's Word? Who cares about getting in the Bible? Who cares about Christians? Who cares? That is the most prevalent attitude or response which really was captured by the religious community, which I can't even believe. Right? Because they were so tied up in their money-making schemes in the temple. They were so tied up in manipulation. In fact, let's talk about the priests for a moment. The chief priests and the scribes. There's some things we can say about them. Where did I ditch my glasses? Actually, I was sitting there. Look at that. From last week. I couldn't find them, so I got them. Chief priests. They came from what? Where did the priests come from? We talked about the Magi. That's a tribe. What was the chief priests of the Israelites? Where did they come from? They came from the Levites. Exactly right. Exactly right. Came from the, the Levites. The one that would have been the chief priest would have been the one that was the high priest. He was the one that could go into, in him only, into the Holy of Holies, and he would be the one that could, on Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, that he would sacrifice for the sins of the people. And see, I'm struggling with this. 
How would you take Annas or Caiaphas? How could they, before a holy, righteous God, go into the holy holies and not get smoked? I'm convinced God's not even in that temple. Right? Those guys are corrupt beyond belief. But if it was when God dwelled in there, in Solomon's temple, right? Or the temple that moved around with Moses, right? That was the deal. The high priest, Aaron, particularly as they began, he went in behind the curtain, the Holy of Holies, and he was the one that sacrificed for the people one day every year, the Day of Atonement. And, if, and he wore this rope, and he had a bell on. There was two things that he needed to be. If you were a high priest, two things you had to go in behind that curtain with. A bell to see if you were still jingling, you're still moving. And if the jingling stopped, are you still okay? No answer. You pull him out with a rope because you couldn't go in and get him because you would be dead, Right? That's how serious it was with a holy, righteous God. They have lost all of that. Now they're still sacrificing. God's not even there. I'm convinced He's not even there. Then why did the curtain That's exactly what happened. Because that was the final. And it, top, it split from the top to the bottom. You talk about God taking care of business. There was no longer a man necessary to go in there because there wasn't a man that was even re- doing the responsibility God had laid out. Jesus Christ did that that day. He was the mercy seat, the blood that was on it, so that men could come before God. That curtain was ripped. And I'm convinced. In fact, let's see if I can think of that. As a result, let's go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And let's look at that event. That curtain was ripped. Ripped. And for the first time in forever, literally, verse 51, it says, Jesus, let's go back to verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up his ghost. What did he say? In the other Gospels, you'll find it. It is finished. Correct? It's done. What was done? The payment, the sacrifice was done. The atonement was completed. Then it says in verse 51, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain or two from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Let's go to Acts chapter 6. Let's watch. As a result of this, I believe these priests, the normal I was going to say normal Joes. I didn't mean anything about Joe, but it's just the normal guys. Acts chapter 6, and look at verse 7. We'll start in verse 6. 6 6. Acts 6 6. Let's see. First 5. Let's go to verse 5. The saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas. I didn't read this earlier, as you can tell. And Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And watch, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. I'm convinced because of what they saw happen in the temple when that, when that uh, thick veil, was about two feet thick, was ripped from top to bottom and exposed the Holy of Holies and seeing that Jesus, it was exactly at the same moment that Jesus Christ gave up his ghost. That had to be known. How would you like to have been a priest on that day? No one had been inside of there. And all of a sudden now, because of what Jesus did, we don't need a priest to go in behind the curtain because the curtain is no longer there. Catholicism, are you listening? You need to get a hold of that verse. It's not needed anymore. Jesus Christ is our priest. He got it done. It's over. It's finished. No more is sin our enemy. Isn't that great? Fantastic. I'm trying to sell it to you. (laughs) 
Jesus paid for it. <coughs> That's amazing, isn't it? It is just totally amazing. And those pre let's keep talking about because it, it ties in. We jumped ahead a little bit, but let's keep going. So the chief priests are jerks, right? They, they truly are. Annas and Caiaphas, <laughs> they're wicked men. And then there's those that would be, we could call the, uh, let me find my notes here for a second. Uh, captain of the temple. That would, again, kind of the upper crust, uh, uh, the, the aristocrats within chief priests. Now, the, t the, the, the chief captain of the police was, remember who went out to get Jesus? Remember uh, the betrayal? It, the temple police went with, right? The, yes, exactly. They were going to do what the high priest wanted. In fact, the captain of the temple police was actually appointed by none other than the high priest. He was, his, he was literally a high priest puppet. So do you see how it's all tied together? Political? Oh, my goodness. Okay, let's keep going. The third one, the third group, if you will, would have been the chief priests. These would have been, that would have been part of, and not just, not, not the chief priest, the high priest, I'm sorry, not just the high priest, but the chief priests. These would have been the ones that you've heard of the Sanhedrin. We talked about that. That's the judicial and the ruling body of law. Seventy of those guys. Those would have been chief priests and scribes, if you will. They were the ones that would have invested in taking care of business. Again, very, very corrupt. Very corrupt. And then we have the normal people, if you will. You have the priests. Twenty-four groups. If you were a priest and you were born in the tribe of Levites and you were a priest that served in the temple, you for one week, two times of the year, would have been engaged in service at the temple. Those priests that we found in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, I'm wondering how many of those would have been on duty during the Passover when Jesus was crucified and were in the temple doing stuff. And all of a sudden, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they start to hear this noise and crackle, and the two-foot veil that no one of them had ever been behind rips from the top to the bottom and exposes the Holy of Holies. And they're saying... Should we look? Should we not look? Should we? Are we dead? <laughs> right? Why wouldn't you accept Christ? Wowzers. Now, these are the guys that got it done. It was a huge line of demarcation between the upper crust of aristocrats, the corrupt criminals, and these priests. Some of them were very... There's probably about 18,000 of those is what it sought to be at Jesus' time. 18,000 that served. And again, you'd have to say there were some that were really serving God. There were others who weren't. There was another group that they were actually the temple police. And their ministry was actually music. They served the Lord in music. They were just part of the Levites. The rest of the, again, 24 groups. They served sporadically. But do you see, it's almost like it is in any place of power. The higher up it went, the more corrupt it was. I mean, that just throws my heart. To see in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, there were priests that began to serve Jesus. Isn't that great? Mm -hmm. And all of their upper crust aristocrats were just killing, 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 killing. Okay, we got to keep moving. Our time is going. Isn't this fun, though, to just see God working? That's so cool. Okay, now, so we've got two types of responses. We have the hostility response. Herod would have been one of those. We have those of the religious leaders, and, and obviously others as well. That we're just indifferent to the whole thing. Now, as time went on, and this, this is absolutely true. I believe it's in America or the world today. If you remain indifferent to Jesus Christ long enough, you literally will get to the point you have no need, no use for him. 
because he starts to infringe upon the things that you're worshiping. Now, here's the, here's the key. We'll talk about it repeatedly. Was Herod worshiping anything? Yes. Every person is worshiping something. Atheists are worshiping themselves. They say there is no God. Well, there's one they're serving. It's themselves. Agnostics, they say there is no God. They're worshiping themselves. Right? The indifferent. They usually maybe aren't, they're not necessarily, if you ask the religious, who are you worshiping? We're worshiping God. We go to church every single Saturday or every single Sunday. We're right there plugged in. There's people today that go to church 52 weeks out of the year and do not know Jesus Christ. They're worshiping stuff, things, places, events, service. In fact, let me play with this right now. We'll say it several times, hopefully, before we end. There would be those that say that you are saved unto service. You're saved to serve God. No. 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 What are we saved to do? Proskuneo. To worship. I want to be able to serve because I'm worshiping. Not serving because I'm saved, because it's like I'm earning it. You have to worship before you can serve. If we could just grasp that, right? Don't you serve differently when you're worshiping God? When you're just proskuneo? way animated, but I'm trying to get it, right? Because that's what it's about. If you just serve because you were saved, it's too much of ourselves. The third one, this is, the, there are only three, by the way. There really are only three. The other response was the wise men. They worshiped. They came 800 to 900 miles to worship. How far would you go today? If you know Jesus and you needed and you wanted to worship him, you knew that there was a Shekinah glory, there was some, something attracting you, would you get on a horse and go 800 miles? I'm not making anybody feel guilty, but do you see what these men did? Do you see the sacrifice? How many nights along the trail would have they said, well, I hope the family's okay. You know, Johnny was sick when I left. <clears throat> Little Freddie, I don't know about him. He is a terror. I hope mom's okay with him. Right? Do you think their families were any different? <laughs> but you see what was number one? Do you see it? Proscaneo. They wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted the king of kings. And they crossed lands to get there. Isn't that great? <laughs> That's lit. And you know what? That's why they worshiped. Do you know how they worshiped? They worshiped by giving. Those gifts they took along? It wasn't the value of the gold, the value of the frankincense, the value of the myrrh. No, 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 no. What the value was is because they gave out of worship. That, my friends, is fantastic. Now, we could talk about those gifts. Jesus being king, and that's what Matthew is all about. Really, if you take the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, it's literally about Matthew from a Jewish perspective showing the Jews that Jesus is king. First of all, it starts uh, from a genealogy. I can't say what I want to say. Genealogically. There we go. He showed that Jesus came from the right right, line. And it it was so cool. Mary's line and, help me, Joseph's line literally came down together both from the line of David. You couldn't even argue with that. Even though David is not, Joseph is not the father, he comes from a Davidic line as well. Isn't that fantastic? How does a Jew argue with that? And then, out of nowhere, comes the three gift 
I almost said, did you see what I almost did? I was trying to get my way out of it. Three wise men. No, three gifts coming from a group, an entourage of wise men, coming from afar off and declare Jesus Christ the Messiah to be the king of the universe. That's what that word means again. It's not, it's not somebody just paying homage. If somebody tells you that the, that the wise men came to pay homage, stop them dead in their tracks. Stop them. They worship from the level of this is the ruler of the universe. How refreshing. They worshiped and they gave from their worship. And you know, when you give service, I was, I was again, the psalm, I forgot to write it down. I wrote it down in my notes at home. But I was looking through the psalms through this week and the gifts that God wants. You know, they sacrificed, yes, to get their eyes on how necessary God was, that only God is sinless and they all are sinners. He doesn't want that stuff. He doesn't need sacrifice, sacrifice bulls or heifers or lambs or doves. Or, he doesn't need that stuff. What he really wants is thanksgiving and a repentant heart, a spirit that is his. And you know how that comes? It comes from worship. There was a South African contingency of pastors that came numbers of years ago, probably even in the late 70s, to a very prominent church, which I'll leave unnamed because it doesn't matter. And this, this, this pastor gave a report that these South African uh, pastors came here and there was two things that they said was wrong in America. And this is just, you know, they just came in, hadn't attended a service, they're just in the, kind of just moving through the, through the country. They said, there's two things that we notice about the Americans' Christianity. One, they really don't know what they believe. That's true. Still true. This was 1978. I read it this morning. And then the second one, and this is where we're at today, they don't know how to worship. That's true. That's true. These wise men showed the Israelites something they had never probably encountered for hundreds of years. Proskuneo. They literally were ready. They went 800 miles to go to a baby Jesus and announced him as the king. I can't imagine that. It says they were thrilled. Can you imagine how thrilling it must have been for somebody that has spent, I'm going to say, three or four or five months on the trail, going somewhere, and the star disappears, the Shekinah glory disappears, and all of a sudden, poof, it shows up, and they're five miles away, and it lands right above the house, and inside is this baby Jesus. I mean, I bet they just crawled in on their knees, and they, it was what they'd waited for. See, that's worthy worship, isn't it? There's a price they paid. This is great stuff. All in the Word of God. It's what we need today, isn't it? So where are we at? This is the question. You know people, the hostile people, I can name those. You get on, you get on, on posts or blogs. And I mean, they're just, they're, it's, it's gotten to a level of just vehement anger. They don't even know why most times. Tell me why. The indifference one is the one that really bothers me. Uh, the last church is described in Revelation chapter 3. The church of Laodicea. They were lukewarm. And God said, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I wish you were one or the other. You're neither. You're nothing. I think that describes America today, right? Or are we <laughs> proskuneo? You ready to worship God with your life? You were saved to worship. You're serving out of your worship. See, that's a whole different light than what's really being talked about out there. You know, he needs to get, you know, God doesn't need famous people. He doesn't need a famous singer. He doesn't need a famous actor. He doesn't need a famous ball player. He doesn't need, you know, he doesn't need any of that. 
But it's like it's like in, in the circle of Christianity. Boy, if we could get that baseball player or that football player, or that basketball, if they if, if they could, oh, I mean, it would it would no no no. Now, not I have any no nothing lessened about them, but when that person, that prominent, that high-level figure comes and worships God, that's when they make a difference. I will tell you, your week will change when you wake up and you're interested in worshiping through praise and thanksgiving. The service comes naturally. God will take you where He wants you because you're right in His way. I want to be right in God's way. That's what I prayed the morning of the sale. I want to be in your way, God. I just want to be in the way. I don't know what that looks like. And it was, you know, did you guys keep track of the weather a few days before Friday? Across the, whoa, right? The Black Hills, they say got six feet of snow. So I'm thinking like, what you, you should have the shovel inside the house, but what are you going to do about it? What, where are you going to put it, right? I mean, six feet, people. I couldn't even hardly believe it. Pierce, South Dakota, they, one of a, it would be a friend of a customer. How to, one way or the other way around, whatever. Two feet of snow, 40 mile hour winds. <laughs> Sounds like where I grew up, right? And then I'm supposed to call him and say, want to buy a bull? <laughs> no, right? I don't even know if I have any cows left, right? So, you know, it, it's easy to be fearful, isn't it? It's easy to be fearful. My prayer is, I want you guys, I want me to get in the way of Jesus Christ. I want to be right in his way. I want to be right there. Because if I'm there, I'm proskaneo. I'm worshiping him. Then he can use me, no matter what. So it's a crummy bull sale. And it was, it was, you consider everything, it was okay. We got through it. Keep moving on. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Glory be to God. I want him in control. I want to be in the way. And that's why I want to serve, because I worship my Father, my Master, my Savior. That's what those wise men did. And you know what today, people? Wise men still seek Him. These people right here would be called fools. There's only two kinds, there's two categories of three responses. If you're indifferent today, if you hear my voice across the Internet, and you're indifferent to Jesus Christ, or if you're hostile towards Jesus Christ, the Bible says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God, which means he is God to himself. I pray for you today, if that's your attitude. Reach out, seek Jesus. He's there for you. He wants you. He loves you. Let's pray. Father God, the level that you've reached out, your eternality, your sovereignty, your omnipotence, I, I, can't, I can't fully understand. I'm finite. You have given me as much as I can hold, and yet it's enough for me to rise up and say, you alone are God. Those wise men as they traveled, like the, the, the joy, the things that they must have felt when they finally the glory the Shekinah glory of Jesus, that young baby, that young lad, less than two years of age, in that house where Joseph had sheltered up, if you will, as they would have entered that residence. And can't, can you imagine? Yes, Father, you can. For, for us to imagine 
Joseph and Mary seeing these kingmakers coming from that distance, literally giving these precious gifts to this poor, poor family, raising up before them that little child as being the king, the ruler of the universe. Emmanuel, God with us. God, you are amazing. Jesus Christ, we think the brutality, the mocking, the scorn, the pain, the suffering, the sin-bearing. I know Satan thought that he couldn't hold it without finally just saying enough is enough. I can't take this with these people anymore. But he underestimated the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan underestimated the power that was within him, that was instilled in fulfilling your awesome plan that men would be saved through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the the joy it is to me to read in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, that those priests, those just ordinary priests that served in the temple, more than likely someone there or someone's family that was there and watched when Jesus at 3 o'clock in the afternoon said, it is finished, and this temple's curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from people had been there for the entire time of that temple built was now they could approach the Father, God, Yahweh, through the gift, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Unbelievable, but it's true. Here we are, Father, just soaking, soaking in your righteousness, soaking in your holiness, soaking in your beautiful picture of love. May you teach us how to proskuneo. Show us. Ask us in Jesus' name. Amen.